0: How are you doing today? Good. Some of us okay. Who's here? About half of us. Fantastic. Well, that's that's a pretty good percentage, don't you think? There you go. Uh, Thanks for filling those out, though. That is helpful for us to communicate with you all, and uh, it's just good to have uh, you know databases that are up to date. Appreciate that. Uh, So, my name's Tim. I get to serve here. One of the things I get to do is teach on a somewhat regular basis on Sundays. We, uh, this fall, we've done a teaching series uh, called Who Are You? And we're talking about identity. And we're going to be looking at it from a number of different angles. Last week, we talked about where does your value come from? Uh, where, where, how do we, the sense of my worth, where, do I, where does that come from? And we talked and we talked and we said, we don't know. No, that's not what we said. <laughs> we said, we said our value our value is meant to come from the fact that uh, we are created by the one who desires us to exist. You are created by the one who desires you to exist. That everyone everybody looks for their measure of value from someone or something. We're meant to find it in our relatedness to God, but if we don't look there, we're going to look. We're going to try and invent our sense of value from some other thing. And if that's if you if you're curious to hear more about that, our talks are online. You can always go to the website and listen to it. Uh, but as the series goes on, we're going to look at other questions. Um, what? Why do people hide? What does it mean to have an identity rooted in Messiah Jesus? What does that look like practically? We're going to talk about kind of understanding. How do we understand our story as a God's, as our lives as a story that God's writing? We're going to look at what is the role of pain in our story. What is the role of passion and calling in our story? And so we're going to be exploring these themes of identity as the uh, as the fall goes on. Uh, last week I I said uh, offhandedly as we were talking about something else, but I said this thing that ideas have consequences. And I really do believe that ideas have. Consequences, whether it's philosophical ideas, theological ideas, they tend to work themselves out in culture over a period of generations. Ideas have consequences in the lives of real people. For example, in 1969, there's a book written uh, in the States, and it was kind of pulling together, it was a psychological, uh, psychology book, and it was pulling together some thinking that had been taking place in academic psychological circles for some time. So in 69, this book comes out, and by the 80s, the, the ideas of this book had infiltrated mainstream culture. Uh, pop, pop culture picked it up. By the 90s, you could hardly find somebody who would disagree with the, the main tenets, that this book uh, put forward the main the main streams of thought. By the 2000s they had been they'd done all these studies on the ideas of this and uh, by the 2000s the psychologists kind of came and said, "Hey, uh, about that, you know, it we were really wrong about that." So, sorry about the three decade social experiment we just ran our country through, but it doesn't actually work. Uh, seriously, the 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 the, uh, the People, you know, it's like all these people, oh, yeah, this is the way humans are meant to work. And then they they get to the, then they do all these things like, oh, actually, it doesn't work at all. Um, The book, the the title of the book was Psychology of Self-Esteem. The movement is the self-esteem movement. In 2009, a Wall Street Journal article talking about the demise of the self-esteem movement um, said this. It said, by now, there are 15,000 scholarly articles on the subject, the self-esteem movement. And what do they show? That high self-esteem doesn't improve grades, reduce antisocial behavior, deter alcohol drinking, or do much of anything good for kids. In fact, telling kids how smart they are can be counterproductive. It's, I mean, at least it's clear, right? It's clear kind of where the, the landing point is. That, I mean, it's just, why, hey, you know, for, for a while, it was like this. That, I mean, the idea of the self-esteem movement is all these social problems are rooted in high self-esteem. And if you just tell people that they're special, they're important, they should love themselves. If you do that enough and they really develop high self-esteem, it'll take care of all these social problems. And lo and behold, the studies, it just, it didn't work. My uh, The guys in my small group a year and a half ago, we read this book, which is on, uh, related to the self-esteem movement the book is entitled the narcissism epidemic we were looking something just uplifting light you know just to feel good so the narcissism epidemic and uh, it's not it's not like a it's written just by these social psychologists it's not a Christian book per se, and uh, these social psychologists—they're basing their—the book is based off this big kind of study of studies, where the forty-five thousand college students from the period of the early '80s to the the mid-2000s, um, these all these surveys of college students on the, the surveys were of narcissistic traits, kind of reporting these narcissistic traits, and um, the, uh, the this mega kind of study of studies they showed between the early 80s and the early 2000s, a 30% increase in narcissistic traits amongst these college students. And in fact, that two-thirds of college students in the early 2000s were, were, ha, uh, had higher narcissistic traits than, um, than the average college student in the early 80s. And the, the authors of the book, they argued, they, they argued a number of different reasons, but one of the root causes, they said, is this, this self-esteem movement, this you are special, you are important, you love yourself. That the trajectory, if you begin with yourself and end with yourself, the trajectory is towards these narcissistic traits. And they define, the narciss, it's, not about, it's not about like full-blown, diagnosable, submit-it-to-your-insurance narcissism. But it's, it's, um, it's just, they define narcissistic traits as inflated view of self, lack of empathy for others. And they said that this, this kind of rooting, your, like your, your value identity and your special, you should love yourself, that it had this trajectory towards inflated view of self, lack of empathy towards others. And not that everybody ended up there, but it had this trajectory in this direction, which I, to me, it's not surprising. I mean, last week we talked, about, we talked about that everybody is meant to get their core identity, their core sense of value from someone or something. Or everybody does get it from someone or something. And we are designed, we're meant to get our core sense of value from our relatedness to God. That we, that we are created by the one who desires us to exist. And that, that, that if, if, you're, if your core identity comes from you're created by the God who desires you to exist, that um, has a trajectory. I mean, it, it, it starts with what you have in common with other people. And it starts with a gift from the God who made all things. That has a certain trajectory to it. But we kind of, as a society, we've decided we don't, that's not going to be where we root our identity. And so we've kind of searched. And, and for these, these, this period of time, these decades, we landed on let's root our value, our core identity, and we are just intrinsically special. We're important. We should love ourselves. And, and inherent to those things, it starts with us, it, it implies like a comparison versus other people, it alienates us, it elevates us. And it's self-focused. I don't think we should be surprised when it leads us towards these narcissistic traits: inflated view of self, lack of empathy towards others. And that's what you know. That's what we've done, in uh, you know. That's what we've done in the states for the last three or four decades, and it's turning out doesn't work. And there'll be a new thing for the next generation. That'll be kind of the next way we do it. And that. That'll not work. You know, something will go wrong with it. These things go through cycles because we need we need to root our values somewhere. And if we don't do it in our createdness, our belovedness from God, we're going to look for something else. During this time, in the early 2000s, there was a NBC public service announcement. They're serving the public, and they said the service service announcement public service announcement said, "You may not realize it." But everyone is born with their one true love, themselves. If you like you, everyone else will too. Yes, you've been publicly served. And I don't think, I mean, I don't think we should be surprised that if you start with self love. And start with the desire of other people to like you, that it leads towards this kind of this narcissistic, inflated view of self, lack of empathy trajectory. I don't think we should be surprised about that. So this morning, I wanna I want to look at this. I wanna I want to compare uh, what we're what I'm gonna call, you know, this kind of I'm gonna call it secular specialness. But this this idea that like my 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 sense of self, it begins with me, it ends with me, it's for me. I want to compare that to what we're gonna call Christian uniqueness, which still affirms individuality, but it begins with God, our createdness, and it ends with. That are created. Our individuality is for God and for others. So we're going to talk about those two things. I want to turn. I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter twelve this morning. Romans is way to the right in your Bible. It's after the book of Acts. It's before First Corinthians, and we've got this. You know, this 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 kind of um, self focused, um, secular special the self esteem movement. We got. We've heard about that. We've got that in our mind, and. I want us to listen, this, this Romans is a letter, it's written about 2,000 years ago by a leader in the Jesus movement to a group, of, a group of Jesus followers in the city of Rome. And so it's this 2,000 year old ancient wisdom and it's got a total different way of viewing ourselves and viewing what human identity is about. And I want you to listen to this in contrast to what we've just, we've just talked about uh, as put forward in our society. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We're going to stop there. This is a radically different way of viewing oneself put forward here. I mean, if this, this, what we call this kind of secular specialness, this kind of begins with yourself. I'm intrinsically special, just in and of myself. I should love myself. kind of begins with yourself, ends with yourself. I, I, I decide the purpose that I'm going to use my uniqueness for. I decide what I'm going to use my gifts for. Um, it, it's this self-focus. Then we have this radically different way of viewing yourself put forward, this Christian uniqueness way of putting forward that begins with we are created by God. That we need we need mercy from God and the gifts we receive are in context of community and to be used for love of God and love of others. It affirms individuality, but in a total different context from God and for God and others. So I just want to I want to look at, I want to look at this passage a little bit and just kind of draw out some of the details of how different this is from kind of what we call the, what I'm calling secular specialness. So um, look at verse. One, there's two huge differences I want to point out. And the first huge difference is that this, this letter implies that, that something is not right about us. In verse 1, it says, in view of God's mercy. That implies that we have this need for mercy or forgiveness. That's just a background assumption. It goes on in uh, in verse 2, it says, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That implies there's this need for transformation. Something needs to change. So the, the background assumption here, the working assumption of people here, is that everything is not all right with us. It doesn't begin with, hey, you're, you're, you know, you're perfect just how you are. It begins with, everything is not all right. If you're sick, you're 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 maybe something. Maybe you have a, a, you know, you, I don't know, uh, undiagnosed cancer. It's not, it's not good news if somebody finds out and says, "Oh no, you're fine. This is just that's how your body's meant to be." It's good news if someone says you're sick, and there is someone who can heal you. The background assumption here is that that everything is not all right with our souls. And it's good news. If if everything isn't all right, it's good news to hear that. Everything is not all right. We do have this need for mercy. We do have this need for transformation. So that's the first first major difference between these two, this kind of secular, specialness, Christian uniqueness that I see there, this this need to be changed, this need for mercy. The second major difference, um, I think we can see... Uh, it's the, the idea that our individual our gifts, they are for love of God and for love of others. So, for example, um, beginning in uh, verse, I think it's verse 1. Yeah. That it says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The idea, sacrifice is worship language. The idea is that our entire lives, everything about us, everything that makes us who we are, is meant to be used in service of love of God, not just for whatever purpose we decide for ourselves, but love of God, love of God, and love of others. Uh, look now at verse five. The context—it's got all this gift language, and the context of all the gift language, kind of this personal gifting—is in the context of community, as this profound statement that that in Christ, that as we follow Jesus we belong to one another. We're part of a community. And that our personal gifting is meant to be used in service of the community. It's meant to be used for love of others. It's not just pointed to ourselves. It's used in love of others. And so this, this whole, uh, the, 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 the gifting language, it's all set in the context of we, the gifting is from God for love of God and love of others. It's not just in us, for us. It's a radically different sense of individuality. And, and if we get kind of technical here, technically this passage is about what you might call spiritual gifts or what you might call grace gifts. But I think the idea... Uh, applies to all our unique wiring, our unique talents, our gifts, the things that make you you. They're not they're not just in you and for you. They're from God. And they have a purpose for love of God and love of others. This is good news. This is how we are made to operate. And I believe I believe people actually ache for this. I believe this idea that is just in me, for me, for whatever purpose I determine for my life, actually starts to feel very empty and hollow. There's a band, Fleet Foxes, put out an album a couple years ago, Helplessness Blues, and uh, the, there's a song on that album by the same title, and uh, I want to read some of the lyrics from it. I was raised up believing. I was somehow unique, like a snowflake distinct among snowflakes. Unique in each way you can see. And now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery, serving something beyond me. There's this emptiness of, of it's just... My, my, you know, I my value comes from me. My specialness, it's for me, for whatever purpose I determine for myself. There's an emptiness there. And then the, this, uh, this songwriter is saying, I wish there was something bigger I could be part of. And I want to say to him, there is. And it's way better than being a cog in great machinery. You get to be part of the mission community of God. Reaching out to to, to extend his rescue mission to the world. You get to be part of a story that he's been writing from the beginning of time to the end of history. You get to be part of something way bigger than yourself. Not just machinery. And in that, yes, it's not a, but just in me, for me. It's created by him, rescued by him, gifted from him, for love of him and love of others. And it's way better. And it still affirms our individuality. But it's our individuality, our giftedness is set in an entirely different context that has an entirely different set of trajectories to it. These narcissistic trajectories or these trajectories of love of God and love of others. We're not not meant... We're not meant to just look kind of to our own specialness for our sense of value. That's just not how we're meant to operate. We're meant to see our worth, our value, and our relatedness to God that we are made by the one who desires us to exist. We're not meant to look at our souls and think everything's just all right the way I am. We're meant to say, hey, I need mercy. I need transformation. And I need someone, capital S, that can extend that mercy and lead me in that transformation. We're not meant to see the unique gifts in our life as just things for us, for whatever purpose we desire to pursue. We're meant to see the gifts in our life as gifts. And there's a giver. And these gifts have a purpose in love of Him and love of others. this matters it matters it, it i mean it this matters in real people's lives this matters in our lives this isn't just kind of abstract it matters when 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 middle and high school and college students are discovering kind of their unique gifts they're phenomenal soccer players. They're great at engineering. Or they just have this ability to write music and play music. Or they're just are they just able to make friends with everybody. Or they, this love of books. All these unique things about us. It matters as we are discovering those things. If we decide, oh, and that is from me, for me. Or that is from God and for love of Him and love of others. And how we and how those giftings, those talents, those unique wirings, how they work out in our lives will be completely different if we see it as in us for us, or from God for God and for others. It matters. It matters for our relationships. It matters for our circle of friends, our marriages, as we raise kids, as we as we live with housemates, as we as we go to workplaces and schools. It matters. If you have ever lived alongside, been in relationship, worked alongside somebody with these narcissistic traits, inflated view of self, lack of empathy for others, it is toxic. It's toxic. It's toxic to, to friendships. It's toxic to marriages. It's toxic to kids. It's not how we're meant to live. We're meant to receive our value that we are made in the image of God. It's a gift that we need mercy, all of us. Our gifts are in our life. They're not just ours, but they're, they're, they're gifts to be used in love of God and love of others. It leads to a totally different way of relating to others. We need that. We need this in our, in our life together as Jesus people. We need this. The danger, I think, sometimes this... this this secular specialness can creep in, and it can it can distort our our understanding of identity before Jesus. It can distort, you know, maybe the idea that oh, I'm just I'm just perfect the way I am distorts our need for forgiveness, our need for transformation. Or it can it could creep in, and, and I think one another way it creeps in is kind of the the whole Christian celebrity culture. We end up elevating certain people; they're more special than others. We need this. We need to have an understanding. I mean, when you start with I am special, as this inherent comparative idea to it. But if you start with we are made by the one who loves us and desires us to exist as an in- inherent commonality. If we then move to we need mercy, we need transformation as this inherent commonality. We're in this together. If we, if we then move to, I've received gifts, and those gifts are for loving God and loving other people, it's a, it inherently brings us together. We as a community need it. I believe it's how we as humans are made to live. I want to, I'm going to lead us now um, into, we're going to kind of do uh What's the word? Exercise? I'm going to ask you to try something with me. This past summer, my wife and I, we had the opportunity, uh, a number of uh, kind of mid-20s, post-college folks uh, came over and hung out our house um, for a month, not a month straight, period of evenings over a month. Um, but we did this guided reflection together, and we did a number of things. Uh, we, we talked about kind of where, uh, what is the purpose of God in all of our lives. We talked about, we reflected back on their stories we we looked ahead to what what is God inviting them into in the next season of life. But one of the things we had them do, one of the exercises, was uh, we we invited them to ask five people whom they trusted, who knew them, the question: Where do you see God working powerfully through me? How do you see God working through me in powerful ways? And the idea, of course, was to help. Was to help. Um, you know, it's not. It wasn't this kind of secular specialness. But the the very the very essence of the question: Where do you see God working through me in powerful ways? It, it, it's looking for this Christian uniqueness. How has God gifted you, wired you, graced you in ways? And how has how have you allowed Him to work through you towards love of Him and love of others? And so it's this question: How has God? Uh, How how have you seen God working through me in powerful ways? And so what we're going to do this morning is instead of... So we had them ask five others. um, But what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to invite you to think of three, four, five other people that you could could write that to. There's something powerful about someone saying to us, I see God working powerfully through you when dot, dot, dot. And the, the idea is that it's rooted in, I see this, that I believe that is a gift from God, and I believe you are allowing God to use it to his glory and to love other people. And so this is how we're going to do it. Um... Um, let's see, on this side there's index cards, index cards, index cards, index cards. So if, on, the people on the, that side of the aisle could grab the index cards and then take like three to five of them and then pass them down and then you can take three to five and pass those down. And uh, we've got a bunch of index cards in here. So for anybody, anybody runs out of index cards, we have more on some of the aisles that aren't sat in. Great ringtone. That's good. Um, so this is once again what I want you to consider is three to five people, and basically you can even write on there. I see God working powerfully through you when dot dot dot, and it, and it could it, it doesn't need to be like quote unquote spiritual things. It can be just it it doesn't need to be kind of yeah you know spiritual activities. Uh, it could be just. Gift, giftings that you see in their life that are from God that they're, they're using for love of God and love of others. The, uh, you know the movie Chariots of Fire? People have seen Chariots of Fire. It's a little older now. There's, I mean, there's this great contrast in the movie. It's about these Olympic runners. There's this one Olympic sprinter. He, he's, he runs a 100-yard dash. And uh, he's kind of trying to find value in the 100-yard dash. And he, there's this quote where he says... I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. I mean, it's all about, I'm trying to find my value in this thing. But there's another runner, Eric Little, and um, has a total different approach to running. He says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I mean, that is Christian uniqueness. It's, it's receiving as a gift for love of him and love of others. And so maybe it's somebody that they've, they've got this gift, and you say and you say to them, I see this gift in you, and God is working powerfully through you, and you're using it to honor him and love others. And so, yeah, three to five people, you can be, you know, think about who would you write, the, where do you see, you know, uh, where do you see God powerfully at work in them? And this may seem weird to you, you're like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this, this is strength. But think about, don't we want... Don't we want kids growing up with moms and dads who say not just you are special, but say to them, hey, I, I see God has given you a gift. And I see when you use it this way, that is, you, you're loving him and you're loving people. Don't we want that? Don't we want housemates and, and people in our small group, small group and core who can say to us, like I, God has given you a gift and he, is, he works powerfully through you when you use it that way. Don't we want communities of friends that can say that to one another? So, I'm going to just give you a few minutes and work on that. Abba Father, uh, Messiah Jesus, uh, Spirit of Life, we do, we come before you and um, I confess, we confess that there are times that we have inflated views of ourselves that we lack empathy for others. That we are not walking in the footsteps of you, Jesus. And um, uh, we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your transformational work. Uh, thank you for the gift-giving, the way you've made us uniquely. Would you set us back on the right path? Spirit, would you do your heart-renewing, heart-transforming work even this morning? that we would be people that follow well after you, Jesus, using who you've made us for love of God and love of others. In your name, amen.